This year we're looking specifically at passage in Ephesians that tells us to walk worthy, and we're building all of our series around how we walk worthy of our calling. The key verse is Ephesians 4.1, where Paul urged us, uh, because of all the things God had done for us, that's the therefore in that verse, because of all God had done for us, he urged us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And we've talked about the calling, we've talked about callings in different areas in our family and the church and uh, the body of lots of places. This summer we're spending our time uh, in this series talking about laying aside about a different phase of uh, walking worthy perhaps. Uh, that verse comes or its phrase is in Hebrews uh, chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 where Paul compares our worthy walk to a good race. Paul uses lots of different pictures to and other New Testament writers to get us to understand this Christian life. Uh, we've talked about that, in fact, how all of the epistles in the New Testament are written to saved people. Uh, not talking about salvation, but talking about how to live the Christian life. And so in one place he talks about walking worthy, that's our walk, our life. And then in this passage he talks about like a race. And he compares all the faithful of the past, and we added last week all the faithful in our past, uh, to a cloud of witnesses. And he said since they're watching, since all these faithful people of old are watching you walk the Christian walk, uh, run a good race. Run a good race. And his admonition on how to run a good race is to lay aside everything that slows you down. If you want to run fast, if you want to make a good race, uh, lay aside everything that hinders you. And he said there are weights that hinder you. And there are sins that entangle us. And so we've talked about that for a few weeks, and we understand that there are things that are out-and-out sins that certainly slow us down in our walk, and there are things that aren't sinful, but they just aren't good for you. They just don't help. They're added weight, and we want to get rid of, certainly don't want to carry big heavy weights with us, uh, and we don't want to carry even an extra ounce of weight with us is what Paul's talking about in Hebrews 12 here. Uh, walk worthy. Uh, run a good race. We're, we're pursuing holiness, not salvation. Uh, we have salvation. We'll talk about that today a little bit. What we're pursuing is holiness. We want to walk worthy, not to be saved, but because we're saved. That's what we're working on this summer, and I know I emphasize that in a little different way each week, but I want us to get that in our head because this subject it confuses people. This subject scares people. This subject makes people nervous. Uh, anytime I talk about holiness or teach a class on it or preach about it, there's always people 
They want to now, now hold it just a minute. They want to understand this because it is a little confusing. So that's what I want to do today is approach this pursuit of holiness uh, from a number of different ways and see if we can get that settled. And then next week, we're going to start the specifics. We're going to start looking at specific weights and see how we do at laying those aside. Um, Let's start with this. There's some things in the Bible, and even Peter said this. He said there's some things that are hard to understand. There's hard sayings in the Bible is what I call some of those. Here's a hard saying. Okay. First Peter, verse one, chapter 1, verses 15 16. Just as he who calls you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, and he quotes God, be holy because I am holy. Okay? Now, if you read that real fast and go on to the next verse, it won't bother you much. If you stop and think about that verse, though, that's a hard saying. Okay? Uh, let me just individualize it, personalize it. Let me pick somebody in this section over here. All I want you to do is be as holy as God. Any questions? You got lots of questions, don't you? Is that what that thing really says? Well, it doesn't really say be holy as God, because God's a different kind of holy in many ways. But it says we're supposed to be holy, because God's holy. That's a hard saying. Here's another one that's hard saying. Uh, Hebrews twelve fourteen. The writer of Hebrews says, make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's another one. You can slip right by pretty quick and it won't bother you. But if you stop and read it, in fact, that's, that's the verse that made me start studying holiness more than I'd ever studied it before. I was sitting out there listening to somebody preach and they quoted that verse. And I don't know what they said after that because I got stuck right there. I really hadn't paid attention to that before. But it said it. It said, without holiness, I won't see the Lord. I wasn't very sharp, but I figured out, I better figure out what holiness is. Uh, that's going to be important on that day. So those hard sayings get us confused. And like I said, when I started studying holiness, that's the first thing I had to do is figure this out, or I'm still working on it, but I, I, I wanted to figure out, what's this holiness thing? So when people ask questions about it and say, well, does that really mean what it says? The first thing I want to make sure everybody understands before we go any further is we get the wrong idea of what holiness is. We think holy means perfect. We think holy means moral perfection or sinlessness. Okay, that's not it. I know God is sinless. I know God is morally perfect. 
But that's not what the word holy means. The word holy means set apart. It means it belongs to God. Okay? So if we understand what the word means, it doesn't mean morally perfect or perfect sinlessness. It just means being set apart for God. You belong to him. We get that in our mind, then we can think through holiness a little bit better. Now, as I studied it and tried to figure it out more and more, I found some different ways that helped me think about it. So I'm going to share those with you this morning, and hopefully they'll help you think about what those two hard sayings mean and what holiness is and what we're talking about this summer. I think there are... I think the problem is the Bible uses the word holy in different ways. I think there's at least three ways that it uses it. So we're going to go through those and look at those three concepts of holiness. I'm going to call them stages of holiness to imply that we progress through them. They're printed on your handout. Salvation, consecration, and transformation. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go through them once to understand them, and then we're going to go back through them twice with different illustrations to see if that helps us understand them. Yeah. And hopefully in 20 minutes or so, we'll have a better understanding of holiness. All right, the first stage of holiness is salvation. The Bible talks about that. The Bible says, in God's eyes, we are holy. It says we are set apart for him. That happens at salvation. That's a positional thing. We go from being not set apart for God, even though we may be real good folks and have some good morals and and all of that, but we say, God, I want to be set apart for you. I want to be a follower of Christ. The things that I've been doing wrong, I want to get them out of my life. I want you to save me and adopt me and prepare me for heaven. That happened, uh, that's a positional thing. At salvation, at baptism, we become sanctified. We become holy. Sanctified means the same thing as holy. All right, I put a couple of verses on there for you. 1 Corinthians 1 2. To the church of God in Corinth, Paul's writing to a church, a diverse church like this, a lot of different kinds of folks, some of them morally nicer than others, some of them from different backgrounds, some of them with messed up lives, and some of them with really messed up lives. The church in Corinth was a tough bunch. (laughs) They had come from some wild backgrounds. But listen to what Paul calls them. And by the way, Paul's writing to them because they've got all sorts of disagreements. And they don't understand things. And they're wrong on doctrine. And they're fighting with each other. And listen to what he calls them. He says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. They are set apart. They are in Christ Jesus, called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. 
Paul tell, talks to this bunch of, they're a tough bunch. And he says, you're sanctified in Christ Jesus. You're the church of the living God. You're set apart. That's a positional thing. They're there because they claimed salvation from Christ. Second verse I put down for you is 1 Peter 2.9. Peter says to all the Christians he's writing to, but you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Same thing he'd say to Northside. He said, you are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You're, you're the church of the living God. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation set apart for God. For what purpose? So you can declare his praises. So you can walk worthy. So you can pursue holiness, but positionally, we are holy. Now, the other thing I think is helpful for me to understand holy is understand where these stages take place. How do these stages come about? And this one, the positional salvation holiness, it takes place in God's mind. Okay? It's not about what I think about you or what you think about me or whether your name's spelled right in the directory or anything else. Positional holiness takes place in God's mind. Okay? He is the one who declares us righteous. Declares us righteous. Even though we're not. Even though we're sinful. He declares us righteous. He is the one who credits us, uh, he credits our faith as righteousness. You read through Hebrews 11 again, the cloud of witnesses. Everybody in there did something out of faith, and God credited that to them as righteousness. In his mind, he decided, this person is righteous, this person is saved, this person is set apart for me. He sets us apart as holy. He adopts us as children. Every time he looks at you, he sees Jesus. Because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Okay? That's positional holiness. Does anything do with what you're doing, how you're doing it, how well you're doing it, what I think, what anybody else thinks. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. Now, it goes both ways. I think we think some people are in Christ that aren't. And I think we probably think there's some aren't that are. Because see, all we can see is the physical thing. We see somebody say, oh, I want to be baptized. We take them up, we make them wet, and they come out. We think they're in Christ. God knows their heart. It was a heavy thought. They may not be in Christ. Anyhow, positional holiness. Now, the second stage I called consecration. Consecration. Everybody knows what consecration means, I think. And this is an intentional holiness. 
First one's a positional holiness. We get that by obeying Christ in baptism. He saves us. Then there is a consecration stage of holiness that is up to our intent, and we choose it. Listen now, Romans 12, just repeat it. We heard it a moment ago. What's Paul urge us to do? And he's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who are positionally saved. He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's your spiritual worship. Okay? We're in Christ. We're saved. We're positionally holy. And what's Paul say? Now, offer yourselves. Offer yourselves as as living sacrifices, holy sacrifices. That's the pursuing holiness part. And be pleasing to God. That's your spiritual worship. That's what you ought to do if you're really saved. Verse 2 of Romans 12 tells us where this stage happens. It takes place in your mind. Salvation takes place in God's mind. We're aware of it because we participated, but that's where it happens. Consecration takes place in our mind. After Paul has urged us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, he says, verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, He says, after you get positionally holy in Christ, now offer yourself a living sacrifice. Don't follow the pattern of the world. Start following a different pattern and transform your mind. Consecrate yourself. That's the second stage of holiness. Hurry on. And the third stage is transformation. Salvation, consecration, transformation. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the practical holiness. We've had a positional one that takes place in God's mind. We've had a consecration one, an intentional one that takes place in our mind. Now we've got to work it out. Once we've decided, I'm going to offer myself as a living sacrifice, I'm going to transform my mind, I'm not going to follow the pattern of the world anymore, now we've got to work it out. Day-to-day holiness. This is where it gets hard. A couple of passages for you, 2 Timothy 2. In fact, if you got your script, we'll turn over to 2 Timothy 2. Make sure we get this one. Because... Paul writes to Timothy about this working out, this practical business. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. Starting about the middle of that verse, Paul says, The Lord knows those who are His. He knows who's positionally holy. He knows who He has clothed with Christ. He knows who He's adopted. Well, we ought to be able to figure that out. Um, 
He goes on, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And we've got to make that change. We've been following the pattern of the world to whatever degree we've been following it, and now we've got to turn away from it. We've got to set ourselves apart. We've got to consecrate ourselves for holiness. And then listen to his illustration, verse 20. He says, in a large house, this is a big house here, by the way, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. What do you mean made holy? We did that two steps ago. No, we were positionally holy. We've been saved. And now he says, consecrate yourself. Turn away from wickedness. And if you do that and then practically day by day transform, you'll be made holy. It would be kind of nice if there were three different words, wouldn't there? So it would be clearer to us. But that's not the way the Bible talks about it. It talks about the whole thing together. So he says in a big house, there's people that have turned away from wickedness, and there's some that haven't yet. And so turn away from wickedness. Consecrate yourselves, and then work it out daily, and you'll be useful to the Master. You will, think about this, you will walk more worthy. What are we trying to do this year? Walk more worthy. Run a good race. Lay aside all the weights and sins. Then he gives us, he even tells us how. He says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That's the daily working out, the practical transformation of your life. You flee the wicked things, you flee the unrighteous things, you seek the good things. Okay? One other verse I put down for you, I think, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Okay, see, there's another way to use holiness. Can you perfect your salvation holiness? You can't perfect that. It's perfect. Okay? He's not talking about that. He's not talking about consecration either. He's talking about the daily working out, the transformation. He says perfect that. Keep working at it. Out of reverence for God. Okay, where does this one take place? It takes place in our thoughts and our actions. Okay? We're positionally holy in Christ, that's salvation. We consecrate ourselves in our mind, and then daily we have to work it out. Daily thoughts, daily actions. When we turn the TV on, when we pick the magazine up, when we decide what movie to go to, when we decide how to respond to some hateful brother, whatever we do, our thought, our actions are working out that consecration. 
Okay? Out of reverence for God. So we can run a better race. So we can walk more worthy. All right, let's go one. This is a kind of a hard passage, but I want to read it. Let's go over to Romans chapter 7. Because some of you have worked at this. And some of you are sitting there thinking about your thoughts and actions and how you just keep failing. How you don't always do what you consecrated yourself to do. I'd almost ask for a show of hands. Has anybody happened to anybody in here? You consecrate yourself. You say, I'm going to be holy. I'm going to beat that one right there. I'm not going to let that sin bother me anymore. And a day later or a week later, it beats you. Do you feel awful about it if you're pursuing holiness? If you're serious about this Christianity thing, if you've really been saved, you, you feel bad about it. Would it comfort you any to know that you're no different than Paul? <laughs> That'd make me feel good. If I knew Paul had the same struggles, that would encourage me to keep doing that day-to-day transformation. Listen to Paul, the apostle, Romans 7, probably greatest Christian that ever lived. Verse 15, I don't understand what I do. For... What I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good, and it is. It's no longer I myself who do it. It's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Now, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it. sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Isn't that a passage? This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, I struggle with this every day. I make my mind up. I'm going to do these things. I want to do these things. And I slip. I don't get them done, and I, and I know these things I shouldn't do, and I end up doing some of them. And he concludes with, what a wretched man I am. No, he doesn't conclude with that. He doesn't conclude with that because he knows he's talking about the daily trans, uh, transformation. What's he referred to? He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, I've got positional holiness. In the day-to-day transformational holiness, I blow it all the time. But thank God I've been saved. I'm not going to get into heaven by how I score on my day-to-day transformation. I'm trying to do that because I want to walk worthy. And I want to run a good race. And I want to represent Him well. 
But that's not how I'm getting in. I have positional holiness. I am in Christ. I'm his child. Every time he looks at me, he sees Jesus. But boy, I wish I was better at my daily stuff. Now, I personally think Paul was so far beyond us in the pursuit of holiness that he's not talking about the kind of things that bother us. I'm sure he had some attractions of the flesh and other problems. He probably had hateful thought against some brother every once in a while or something. But I think he was really talking about his thought life. This is my theory. You don't have to believe it. But Paul's the one that said, we want to take every thought captive for Christ. I personally think he was so far up there in the pursuit of holiness that if he had a thought that he didn't think he should have had, he got upset. I shouldn't have had that thought. If I was really pursuing holiness, I wouldn't have thought that about that person. My theory on Paul. But the point is, no matter how far along in the pursuit of holiness we get, we're still dealing with this daily transformation. It's in our thoughts and our actions, what we think and what we do. All right, that's going through it. Now, these three stages, they help me understand holiness. I think about my salvation. I think about consecration. I think about transformation. Let me share another help, I think. You got a little clock there on your paper a few places. Let's put a little time zone on these and see if that helps you understand holiness. Okay? First, salvation is a one-time event. Up there on our first stage, it's a one-time event. We hear the gospel, we believe it, we repent, we confess, we ask to be baptized. God knows our hearts. We're immersed in water. That is when he says he saves us. People pick on us and say, you mean water saves you? No, water is just when it happens. He chose water, not me. When we do what he says, he says, when you're at that spot, that's when I'll save you. That's when I will regenerate your heart and your soul. That's when I will adopt you. That's when I'll put you in Christ. That's when I'll put you in the church. That's when all these things happen. That's the Bible. Okay? Second, consecration is a recurring event. This helps me a lot because when I fail at those daily transformations, sometimes what do I need to do? I need to reconsecrate myself. This happens all the time. This, this might happen every time you hear a sermon. It might happen when you read a specific verse. When you hear a sermon, it happens when you get in trouble. When you blow it. You say, man, I'm going to do better from now on. I'm going to concentrate, concentrate, consecrate myself. To pursue holiness better. Yeah. That's okay. That's good. That ought to happen. Yeah. If we do that, if we, if we constantly think about doing better, or at special occasions we think about doing better, 
That's good for us. That's the way it's supposed to work. If we could just do it once and have it whipped, we wouldn't be human. And not only just, and this I'm not talking about just staying at the same level, the level ought to grow. Our understanding of what holy is ought to grow. I think if we told Paul, here's what I struggle with, he'd say, I remember when I struggled with that. But I've consecrated myself to where I am now. Okay. Third, transformation doesn't happen at a time. It's not a one-time event. It's not a recurring event. It's a lifelong process. If you think you can make your mind up today that you're going to pursue holiness and a month from now come back and tell me I got it, I'm holy now. I'll try not to laugh. I'll say, good job, but you got a ways to go. Holiness is, you know, God's the limit. And we're not going to get there. But the closer we get, the more worthy our walk, the better race we're running, the better we're representing Him to the world. That's what He left us here for. It's a lifelong process, day by day. Thought by thought. We sing songs about that. We say, step by step, I'm going to do this. We sing a song that says, each day I'll do. We sing songs like that. I'm going to try every day on this. Yeah, That's the timing of this. Salvation, a one-time event. Consecration may happen a number of times in your life. Transformation, daily battle. Okay, i got one more picture for you and we'll quit. You ever been to a wedding? Everybody's been to a wedding. How do you know if that couple's got a good marriage? I mean, when I pronounce them and turn them around there and let them kiss and send them down the aisle, they look like they're happily married. Every time, I think. Actually, I've never seen anybody walk down the aisle. From this side, see, they're going that way. But they look happy, I think. I see pictures of them. They look like a perfectly happily married couple. Let's think about marriage a little bit. Um, Happy marriage? Have anything to do with how many flowers are up here? Have anything to do with how many dollars are spent on the wedding? Think through some of the things that go along with the wedding. Uh, how about two weeks before the marriage? I mean, they're really, really, really crazy in love right then. You know, I mean, that looks like going to be a good marriage. Were they married two weeks before the marriage? Well, you say, no, of course not. Well, they were really, really happy, crazy in love. Yeah, but they weren't married. Okay, you know enough about weddings, you can fill the blanks in. Let's go back through with the wedding picture. Number one, salvation, the one-time event, is like the wedding. It's when they became married. Okay? Doesn't have anything to do with two weeks before or anything else. It's when it happens. When the preacher signs the certificate, when God recognizes them as married... It happens at the wedding. That's a one-time event. 
Second, consecration is a recurring event. That's like the marriage. Now, at the marriage, I know, and actually before the marriage, I know, the couple has decided, this is the one that I want for life. I consecrate myself to her. I consecrate myself to him. I'm going to give my life up for him. I'm going to make them the one I love. That's what's going to happen. They come up here and say it in front of people at the wedding. Does that consecration ever need to be made again? And the married people said, yes. Ever hear of a couple renewing their vows? Okay. That can happen over and over. Situations are going to change. It's not always going to be that happy, crazy love two weeks before the marriage. One year it's going to be somebody that is disabled and needs constant care. Somebody's going to have to consecrate themselves then. I will do this because I love them. That's marriage. Now, third, the transformation is a lifelong process. That's the daily submission. That's working out the marriage. The thoughts and actions and the difficulties that happen, we handle those in marriage. But that's a daily thing. It happens because we've consecrated ourselves. But it's a daily submission, a daily process of deciding, yes, I'm going to love this person in this situation. Here's what I'm going to do. Does this help you understand holiness a little bit? It's all of these. It's a one-time event. It's a recurring consecration. It's a daily transformation of your thoughts and actions. And where we go wrong on holiness is the legalist will go right to number three and say, I'll make you a list and you transform to them. I'll make you a list. You follow all them, you'll be holy. No, you won't. You'll be following a list. You won't, you won't be, I mean, you might do them. Not very long, probably, because you're not consecrated. You don't have the help of the Holy Spirit that came in the first step. So we go wrong lots of ways like that. Let me give you one more kind of illustration from a wedding, sort of. When a couple comes in to me and says, we're having a wedding, a marriage problem. Maybe I married them years ago. Maybe I knew they were consecrated to each other and all that. But they come in and say, we're having really horrible problems in our marriage. We're talking about divorce. Can you help us? What stage am I in? Where are we? Well, we're dealing with the daily transformation. It isn't working well. So what do I do? I'll give you an option. Here's one thing I could do. I could say, okay, it appears to me you're not doing this well and you're not doing this well. So here's a list of things. I want you to go home and do all those. You take this list. Buddy, you follow this one. Sister, you follow this one. That'll fix your marriage. Do you know I've never done that? 
without asking a question first? You know what the question is? Are both of you really committed to saving this marriage? Got to know that. If they aren't consecrated to it, this isn't going to help. If one of them says, yes, I am committed to saving this marriage, and the other one says, eh, not really. We're not going to make it, folks. Ain't going to happen. I don't care if I was standing there when they were married. I don't care if I remember the moment that they be positionally became married. They're not consecrated to it anymore. We're not going to make it. Does that help you understand holiness? Three kinds of holiness. Three stages of holiness. Hopefully that helps you understand the pursuit as we go to some specifics next week. That's enough pictures and illustrations for you. We like to always close with what we call an invitation song. It applies to the two groups that are here. Well, actually three groups here. There's kids and people that aren't accountable. They don't know what I'm talking about. They don't understand this Christian life thing. There's a few of those here. But in general, everybody else is in two groups. One group has never claimed that positional holiness. They've never asked God to adopt me as your son. Make me holy in Christ. So that I can be in heaven with you for eternity. There's a few of those folks here that have never claimed that salvation, that positional holiness that God offers and Christ died for. Another group that's here has that positional holiness and maybe is working real well on consecrating themselves to pursuing holiness and working out daily transformation, or maybe they've kind of forgotten that. They've forgotten that they're supposed to walk worthy. They think being in Christ is good enough. It's good enough to get you to heaven, but it's not what pleases God. God wants you to live a holy life to represent Him right. That's what all this is about, what Paul's pleading us to walk worthy and run a good race and all of that. If you're in either of those groups, you need to respond to the invitation song today. You haven't put Christ on in baptism and are not positionally. That's who he's coming back for. That's when he puts you in the church. He's coming back for the church. You may be in a family where the rest of your family is in Christ. He's coming back for them to take them to heaven. If you're not there with them, take care of that today. If you've forgotten the consecration that he wants in a daily life, take care of that today. Ask us to pray for you. Ask us to say, I want to consecrate my life to him again, and I want your prayers as I start. Let's stand and sing. If you need any of that, come.